Our scripture this morning is James 1, 19 through 25. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. My best friend growing up uh, was named Joseph, and one of our favorite things to do was to go to Steak and Shake. And uh, I remember as teenagers that one particular Friday night it probably was, and we were acting rather goofy as we normally did, and I had ordered a milkshake, and the whipped cream was on top, and I was just being a goofball, and I had gotten that whipped cream all over my face. And I noticed that the people around the restaurant, some of them had seen that I had this on my face, and some of them were kind of looking like, what an idiot, and others were kind of probably feeling a little embarrassed for me, and, uh, and so I sat there a few minutes, and we conversed, and then I, I went up and walked across the restaurant towards the restroom, so at that point, pretty much everyone in the restaurant saw that I had whipped cream all over my face. I went in the restroom, I was in there for a couple of minutes, I walked, I don't even remember if I needed to go to the restroom, but I may have just done this to be funny, but I walked back out with the whipped cream still all over my face. And the whole restaurant just erupted into laughter. And the reason that they did that, of course, is because whether they were feeling like I was just a moron or whether they were feeling embarrassed for me or whatever, they knew that something should have happened once I entered that bathroom. (laughs) At some point, I should have taken a look in the mirror, seen that I had whipped cream all over my face, cleaned myself off, and then exited the bathroom probably somewhat embarrassingly, right? But I came back out uh, in all of my 18-year-old funniness with that stuff still all over my face, and at that point, some of them knew that I was just being goofy, or they thought, wow, he actually went to the bathroom, didn't look in the mirror, and is still walking around with this stuff all over his face. When we look in a mirror which we all probably do more than maybe we necessarily need to, but we see the reality of ourselves, and we're expected to make the appropriate adjustments. When that reality is altered in a mirror, we find that quite amusing. We've all seen mirrors that do not accurately reflect uh, your appearance, and and we've got a couple of pictures of some of these images, and you've seen these around at various places uh, this gentleman is, is looking at his giraffe-like neck in that, uh, in that mirror. We've got a couple more. All five of these folks are rather enthused by the shortness of their, of their legs. And then we've got these two little kids, and you, maybe you can't tell the, the uh, image very clearly, but the little girl on the left is like, she's really tickled by this. She's smiling. And the, the girl on the right looks rather concerned uh, <laughs> that maybe that is an accurate reflection of her. And then now you can get all sorts of apps and things that your cell phone will distort, you know, the image of your face. And it's, they're funny to look at, right? I mean, we get a lot of 
enjoyment and humor out of looking at that because we know it's wrong. It makes us look really tall and thin or short and fat or whatever. And it's funny because we're accustomed to normal mirrors that just do this simple job of showing us what we look like. And then if hair is out of place or whatever, then we can, we can make the adjustments. So mirrors reflect the reality of our appearance, but they're also used to assess what's behind us, right? Like on the front of your, of your program this morning, you see that 2016 is in the, it's in the rear view mirror of this vehicle. And of course, when we were all in driver's ed or whatever, we were taught that the mirrors were important parts of learning to drive, that it's not just about what's in front of you and where you're going. Certainly, it's, it's probably mostly about that. You need to have your eyes this way and paying attention to kind of what's here and also what's on the side, but also every now and then to check the mirrors to see what's behind you, what's coming up on you. And we do this in, in all kinds of areas of life. We're kind of checking mirrors to see uh, the reality of something, but also to look back. Uh, we do this in, in business, right? At the, end of the, at the end of the month, you have certain things that you go through that will allow the, the gathering of data so that you can look back over December and say, okay, it was a good month, it was a bad month. This product did well. This project was successful. This one wasn't. We have quarterly reports, and we have annual reports. We're always looking in the mirror. We're looking back to see how things went so that we can better understand where we're headed. That helps us to not just arbitrarily set goals, but to say, well, this happened in 2016. We, we didn't meet these goals, and, and maybe we assess the information. We look back, and we can set new goals for the upcoming year. In medicine, right, we run tests. We try to figure out the reality of the situation, but you also study the medical history. We ask questions, or doctors ask questions, like is there any history of heart disease or cancer in your family? They're looking back. They're looking into the mirror of your DNA and your family and trying to assess what has happened so that they can kind of know maybe what is happening now or what is going to happen. In sports, I mean, this is really... Uh, rather amazing. When I, even just when I was a kid, uh, the extent of your sports information and news was like uh, at the end of the 6 o'clock news, like at 6.25, you might have got a little run through. Or if, you, or if you subscribe to Sports Illustrated, you get this, it was a weekly, I think, magazine that you could kind of see what the big stories in sport. Think about how much that has changed. Now you have half a dozen ESPN channels that are 24-7 and the way that they're able to, to tap into that market is they're, they're gathering all the data and they're looking at it and they're processing it probably to ridiculous lengths to try to help us understand what's going to happen in the next game. Uh, what's, what are the Braves like they're going to do next year? They're always looking back and then trying to predict what's coming up. Even in the middle of, if you, if you turn on the, this afternoon an NFL game, in the middle of, of series and plays, they're on the sidelines looking at their little tablets going, here's what happened in that play. Here was the defense that they used, and here's how we can adjust what we're doing to, to defeat them. So we do this in lots of different areas of life, looking back and trying to discern what has happened and understand it thoroughly so that we can move forward with a little more preparation, be, being ready for, for what lies ahead. The technical phrase for the spiritual realm of this discipline or this practice is theological reflection. Theological reflection. 
looking back over time, looking back over our own lives, our own experiences, looking at the history of a church or the, the, the spiritual history of a family and trying to discern what has gone on. Where has God been? What has God done? What has he been trying to do? Where have we been faithful? Where have we not been faithful? And sometimes we might think that, that the way that we're assessing data and reflecting on the past in the rest of our life has no connection with our spiritual lives. We may say, well, you can't measure that. Spirituality and faith can't be quantified like that. I certainly wouldn't set out to measure someone's faithfulness or measure their love, but it must be uh, accessible because Jesus says it, says it uh, is. He says you will know a tree by its fruit. Uh, as an organization, we can assess spirituality or what uh, the sociologists call religiosity. They can come up with the data. Of course, sociologists are going to find a way to do that. But they look at a number of different measurements, and they say you can measure someone's religiosity very simply. How much did they give? How many times did they come to worship? How many times did they come to Sunday school? How many missions activities were they involved in? What roles or positions do they hold at the church? Those are the kinds of things you can quantify. But those are exterior things, of course. You could come to church a lot and you could give a lot of money, but still really withhold your heart from God. So that that measures something on, on the exterior, but it doesn't really measure the interior life. So this morning's sermon is really about challenging ourselves to to engage in a process of self-assessment, to look back over 2016 and ask the question. There was a professor at Sanford, Lyle Dorset, and he would say to us, how goes it with your soul? That's not really like shooting the breeze, like, hey, how is it? You know, how's it going? Yeah, sorry. How, how, how does it go with your soul? And we look back over 2016 and ask that question of ourselves. And there's a number of different ways that we, can, that we can ask this. But today's text, I think, offers us some, some important insight in, in looking back. And I want to share the text with you again that was just read, and I want us to see it in the message version because it pulls out a couple of different things. Eugene Peterson phrases it like this, Post this at all the intersections, dear friends, Lead with your ears, follow with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden in your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea what they are, what they look like. The original Greek does not have that in bold or underlined. I did that. Next slide finishes up the passage. It says, But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. 
that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. I used to read this passage and think, this is a weird proverb. This is a strange analogy. Who does this? Who walks in, looks at themselves in a mirror, and turns right around and forgets what they've seen? We all know what we look like. We might not be artists. We might not be able to sketch ourselves out. But we all know what we look like. So what does that mean, to look into a mirror, turn around and forget what you've seen? I think there's a deeper meaning here And as I looked at a couple of different translations of this text, it begins to come out, in my mind, a little bit better. The New King James Version says this, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now that's a different meaning, isn't it? Instead of just, I forgot what I look like, I forgot who I am. I am much more in danger of forgetting who I am than what I look like. What I look like is really, probably James is not terribly concerned about what somebody looks like or if they know what they look like, but he's incredibly concerned about what kind of person we are and and if we know what kind of person we are or if we forget what kind of person we are. So a person who hears the word of God and just doesn't let it take root, it goes in one ear and out the other, is like a person who looks into the mirror of their reflection or looks into the mirror of their past, what's behind them, and then goes away and doesn't learn from what they've seen. Forgets who they are in here. That, to me, makes a a, a stronger meaning out of this text. The NRSV says, "He he immediately forgets what he is like. So we deny our identity. We deny the reality, the truth of who we are. So, of course, it's January 1, 2017. And every new year brings this idea of newness in general. And we set these resolutions and we look forward and we we set goals. and, And those are great. But the question that I want to pose to you today is, on what basis Can we set those goals if we ignore what is in the mirror? If we ignore what is behind us, how how much real hope is there in achieving a goal for 2017 if we don't look at 2016 and really honestly assess where we were? I mean, I probably shouldn't set a goal to run a marathon in 2017 until I look at 2016 and say, well... I ran a couple of 5Ks, but that's a long way from from getting there. And I thought I was going to die when I did that. So I have to draw a bridge. There's a connection between one thing and the other. I I shouldn't set out in 2017 to write a book if I look back over 2016 and go, I haven't written a word, nothing. That That should help guide me in what is my goal for 2017. It can be big, but it should take into account what is in the past. I want to share a quote with you about theological reflection from the art of theological reflection. It says, as human beings, we reflect, ask why about our lives, because we are drawn to seek meaning. We need meaning as much as we need food and drink. Theological reflection is the process of seeking meaning that relies on the rich heritage of our Christian tradition as a primary source of wisdom and guidance. It presumes the profoundly incarnational, God present in human lives, providential, 
God caring for us, and revelatory, source of deepening knowledge of God and self, quality of human experience. Searching for meaning through theological reflection is not easy because it does not yield the security of absolute answers. Rather, the search invites us to befriend our Christian heritage, our lived experience, our culture, and our contemporary faith community as conversation partners on the journey of faith. I love that. I think that's a very helpful way for us to think about our theological reflection. I want to draw your attention to a list of questions that are in your program, and I hope that you will hold on to these. These are questions that might help you to kind of conduct uh, an annual spiritual review. And, and some of these we will not touch on hardly at all, but uh, the first one, count your blessings. It would, be, it would be well worth our time to sit down and look over 2016 and say, how was I blessed? What, what did God do in my life that, that, that blessed me or blessed others through me? Where were the blessings? Count your blessings. If you grew up in a little Baptist church like I did, you know this hymn, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God hath done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Great hymn. And I want to tell you a story about its, uh, its author. I think we've got a picture of Johnson Oatman, Jr. This man uh, grew up in church. He would go to church uh, in New Jersey, born in New Jersey, would go to church with his father. His father had this booming voice and would sing these hymns just so powerfully. And, uh, and Oatman Jr. would stand in the pew so he could share the hymn book with his daddy. And his whole childhood growing up, he thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to just bring the thunder when I sing. I mean, I'm going to just change the kingdom. I'm going to bring the kingdom with the way that I sing. And that was just how he felt the Spirit moving him as he grew up. And eventually he, he felt called to the ministry. He felt called to pastor. And he became a Methodist minister. And he, he went and he ministered, but he wasn't finding fulfillment in it. He wasn't really winning souls. He wasn't doing what he thought the fruit should be for his calling. And he began to go and, and preach in different denominations and try different churches. And it just wasn't working. It just, he wasn't finding joy in it and there was no fruit in it. And so at the age of 36, he looked at his life and he said, you know what? I'm not going to be a great singer. It's just God just didn't give me the vocal cords for it. And I'm not going to be a great preacher. And he accepted that and then he picked up his pen and he began to write him. And all of a sudden, the kingdom shook. This man wrote, on average, 200 hymns per year. He wrote over 5,000 hymns. And he accepted $1 for each hymn that he wrote. He didn't need the money, but he found meaning and joy, and it was vigorous for him. But I just wonder what would have happened if at 36 he, he didn't do any self-assessment and he didn't look back and he just kept saying, i got to be a great singer. I'm going, to be a, I'm going to be a great pastor. And he just kept his head down and kept pushing into this future that just God simply didn't have for him. 
It just wasn't meant to be. But God had a great future for him. And I'm sure in, in retrospect, he probably realized, wow, God has been at work in my life even when I was a little boy and I loved the hymns. I just didn't realize I was supposed to write them. I thought I was supposed to sing them. And sometimes we miss how we're going to get somewhere when God gives us a vision. But what a wonderful story of finding your purpose and throwing yourself into it. Other hymns that he's written that you would, that you would recognize. So one thing that I encourage you to do, take the time to look back 2016. Where are the blessings? And just make a list of all the things that you would call blessings. The second question, what losses have you grieved? And some of these I went through and put scripture with. Uh, I think they're all uh, biblically sound, but I did not put scripture with all of them. That might be something that you desire to do. But we know that grieving is not wrong. We know that Jesus wept. We know that his heart was saddened and he grieved. And that's just part of life, like Mark prayed. I mean, we, we, we experience sorrow and loss. It, it, it happens, but sometimes we just try to get away from it, right? We want to highlight the blessings and not really spend any time theologically reflecting on what did we lose, who did we lose, and dealing and, and walking through the pain of that and allowing God to use that. Did God bring a new friend into your life in 2016? Some of the greatest blessings we know that we receive are friendships. It's an amazing and wonderful thing when God brings a new friend into your life. C.S. Lewis said, Friendship is unnecessary like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. And he, uh, Lewis also said on friendship, is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire? Have friendships deepened this year? Perhaps reconnecting with an old friend. That might help us set a goal for 2017 in terms of building friendships or connecting with someone. Is there a new place that you visited in 2016? A new place that God allowed you to see, or a familiar place that you revisited? What about changes in health? Perhaps you've had great news with health in 2016. Perhaps it's been very difficult with your health. But we reflect on it and we say, where, where is God in this? And what, what, how can God gain glory in my sickness or in my health? Did you develop any new skills or have any new experiences in 2016? What about changes in your workplace or in your job? What was the most difficult season of the year? Where where was a place where where we experienced failure, disappointment? What was the most meaningful book that you read in 2016? God is at work in all of these ways all around us. But sometimes we just think about the worship service or or, or the Bible study that we're in and we forget to kind of open up the entire spectrum and say, where's God in this? What song connected most with me? It doesn't have to be in the hymn book, but what song in 2016 
did I connect with and, and how and why? And is, did God, is God speaking to me somehow in this, even if it's not found in the Christian section at the music store? Movies. I mean, God can use a movie in incredible ways. Mark and Marissa and Austin and I went to see The Insanity of God, a little documentary, supposed to just play one night. Incredible movie. Absolutely powerful testimony of what God's doing in the world. What story of God's faithfulness to you in 2016 could serve as a testimony or a witness? So your testimony, your witness doesn't have to be about, well, when I was eight years old, I felt a little nudging and and I went, you know, and Pastor Paul came over and we prayed in the living room and I got baptized. Well, okay, good enough, but that, I'm rather far removed from that. It, it's probably pretty powerful for me to share the experience of how God brought me to Brookwood and how God has blessed me and my family in 2016 in, in what's just happened and what's going on right now. The most powerful moment that you had in worship. It didn't have to happen in this sacred space. It could have happened in your home or in your car or, or wherever. But where was there a time in 2016 when you just felt the Spirit of God just overwhelmingly go back to that and think about that and pray about that why was that powerful what what was happening there maybe God wants to teach us something out of that experience or at least allow us to express gratitude for those moments the practice of spiritual disciplines this is becoming only harder and harder in our culture but how much time did we spend in solitude were we able to find any silence in 2016 Did we fast any in 2016? We've got to ask ourselves those questions in order to kind of look ahead and set goals for for the new year. Exposure to a new ministry. Some of you uh, are doing all kinds of different ministries associated with Brookwood or, or not associated with Brookwood. But I mean, there's all these incredible opportunities here to go to international places to serve. There's Builders for Christ. You can go to Africa, Rio, Nicaragua, Mongolia, the Appalachian Trail. You can go to the Firehouse Shelter, the Prison Ministry with Gill, Empower, True Vine. I mean, there's just all these opportunities. You can't do them all. Please don't try to do that. That's not a good thing to try to do them all. But experience something new in 2017 if you've never been to Empower or you've never been to the Firehouse Shelter. I'm not saying you need to commit to go every however often they go, every month or whatever, but just go by one time and just experience it and see what God is doing in that place. It's a great blessing. Did we achieve greater depth in our prayer life in 2016? If my prayers in 2016 looked just like my prayers from 2006, probably God wants to grow me a little bit in that that realm. If I'm praying the exact same prayer I prayed, 15, 20 years ago, my prayer life looks just like rewind, play, rewind, play. God wants to take us deeper than that. He wants to grow us in that. Try something totally different. Just pray, just just scrap everything and just pray prayers of gratitude. Just declare who God is. Just spend the time in prayer and just say, I'm not going to worry about this need or that need that I have, but I'm just going to declare who God is, the glory of God. God can, he he shakes us up when we we change things a bit. What verses did we learn this year? Imagine if you just really sat down and learned one verse a year. That might sound like, well, that's not very much, but over 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years, 
We should have these verses that are meaningful to us, that are powerful in our lives. Look at the way that we read Scripture in 2016. The danger that we have is that sometimes we develop our own little personal canon that's rather small. It might just be Philippians. I love Philippians. You know, I just live in Philippians. What's well, a great book. But beyond those four chapters, there's so much in Scripture that God wants to teach me. I can just hang out in the New Testament. All about the grace, man. Love it. I need to know what happened in the Old Testament. I need to understand the law. If, if we didn't read anything in the Pentateuch in 2016, might need to get in there in 2017. If we haven't looked at the Psalms really in a deep way, Need to get into the Psalms. If we haven't read the prophets in years, need to get into the prophets. Haven't read through the Gospels, need to get into the Gospels. Where have we been and where can we go? Relationally, how many times in 2016 did we say, I'm sorry? How many times did we expect to hear someone else say, I'm sorry to us? I I love this question about failures. Are we so averse to risk that we don't ever attempt anything at which we might possibly fail? I think it's okay to fail. I think it's part of being human is to fail. I don't think God likes it. Remember the talents? I hid it. I didn't want to lose it. I hid it in the ground. Here it's back. God didn't like that. That didn't fly. That wasn't good. I think it would have been better if he said, I invested it and I lost it. I tried. Sorry. But God, the master in that story didn't appreciate Playing it safe. We look back and we ask serious questions like, do we love more? Am I more a person of love? Am I more a man of love with my wife, with my children, with my church, with my friends than I was? God isn't going to love us anymore in 2017 than he did in 2016. But the question is, can we grow in our awareness of him and his love? Absolutely. We wouldn't conduct business without goals. It would seem haphazard and careless. Serious sports fans know the stats. Serious swimmers count laps. Golfers count strokes and yards. We wouldn't go on vacation without making appropriate plans. We wouldn't go to college or accept a job without analyzing all the factors. We wouldn't marry someone that we didn't know well or had never met. And yet, we sort of drift through sometimes spiritually just not really knowing where we've been, not really knowing where we're headed. I'm very excited with our student ministers. We've been meeting together on a monthly basis, and I'm so excited about 2017 because we're, we're trying to formulate, kind of understand where we've been in student ministry and formulate goals for where we're headed, for, for, uh, for us to work across those lines and have a coherent strategy so that when somebody shows up and they've got a two-year-old, we can say to them, here's where we want your two-year-old to end up if they're with Brookwood all the way through college. We want this to happen in terms of their knowledge of Scripture and their experience in ministry and their leadership in worship and the, the way that their family knows God and all these things and say, this is where we're trying to get. It won't be perfect. We're going to make some mistakes. But I'm excited about looking at where we've been and where God might take us. I think there's great freedom in opening ourselves up to how the Spirit might correct us, steer us in new directions, give us passion and courage to grow in meaningful ways. Perhaps God is leading you, your family, your Sunday school class, your small group or your ministry group to enter into a time of reflection for growth as well. 
May we not be like a person who looks in the mirror of life, looks back over a year and then moves forward, forgetting what we've seen and heard, forgetting who God has made us and called us to be. But may we look intently at 2016 to see the presence of God's Spirit in our lives and may God give us understanding of Himself and ourselves as we reflect. Wisdom that will shape us and lead us into a bright, happy, and holy new year. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we give you thanks for the beginning of a new year, the ending of an old year. Lord, there were probably moments where we just completely missed you in 2016. Forgive us. There were moments where we were so distracted or overwhelmed by problems or personal needs or whatever that we just kind of missed maybe the larger picture, missed where you were at work. Perhaps we even missed an opportunity to love or serve our spouse or our kids or our parents or fellow church members. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we launch our vessels out into a new year and we're excited about what might happen in 2017. We, we trust that you have great plans for us as a church and great plans for our families. Hope, uh, Lord, for for good things and blessings. Uh, But Lord, we pray that you would help us, even if it's just this afternoon, if we just take this afternoon, God, and look back at 2016 and kind of just put it out on the table and allow your spirit to show us something. If we can just answer one of these questions of self-assessment from a theological standpoint, then we would be better prepared for the new year. Lord, we thank you for for all of 2016, for the good things and the achievements and the blessings, Lord, as we count our blessings, but also, God, for the difficult times, for the losses, for the failures, for the disappointments, for you teach us perhaps more in those seasons than when everything seems great. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us over the last 12 months. And we pray, God, that we would learn the lessons that you want us to learn, that we would just catch a glimpse of your glory, that we would come to understand you better, understand ourselves better. So, Lord, as we move into a new year, we might be even more open to what your Spirit has for us. Lord, May our hearts be like water in your hands, God. That you would just pour us and direct us wherever you want. We want to be open to you, Father. Give us the faith uh, to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.